heard somewhere that you delivered flowers on behalf of Bill and Melinda Gates to Mandela. Yeah, we did. Definitely our best order ever. Definitely. It was really cool. So we don't know if he placed the order himself. There's no way to know such yes. a thing. Certainly I'm not going to be able to track Bill Gates' IP address, that's for <laughs> sure. But yeah, it was, it was a year before he passed away. He was in hospital. And uh, we've actually got it up. We like framed it in our office because, I mean, never are we ever going to touch at the time, which were two of the most important people in the world. Certainly the most famous, yeah. which is my yeah. So it was a cool order. Thanks for clicking play on the number one podcast show for business owners in South Africa. My name is Manus Bredrek and this is season number three of Making SMEs Matter. This season, we'll be chatting to some of South Africa's top entrepreneurs, guys and girls who have built some of South Africa's biggest brands and companies. And if you're building a company of your own or you have dreams of becoming a successful entrepreneur one day, then this podcast show is going to inspire you and bring you valuable lessons that you can use in your own business. I want to give a special thank you to Investec Business Cash Solutions, the team that has helped us bring you this podcast. Make sure you join our mailing list at sme.africa forward slash podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to Ryan Bacher. He's one of the co-founders of NetFlorist. An incredible journey. They started off as a pilot project that they built for Macro. It ended up being a business. And yeah, today it's the brand we all know. It was really great chatting to Ryan and just getting into the mind of the guy behind the, the business and just the small things that they did right um, in building this business, but also the many lessons that they learned along the way, many failures that they've had. Um, it was a very insightful discussion and I really enjoyed that and I hope you will too. Before we get into the episode, on the 3rd of December, we're hosting an SME.Africa event at Emperor's Palace in Johannesburg. Um, some really great entrepreneurs, um, tech entrepreneur Isaac Mopotlani, um, Margaret Hirsch, the co-founder of Hirsch's, and then also um, Richard Mulholland, an absolutely incredible speaker. If you'd like to get more information about the event or if you'd like to join us, uh, then simply head over to sme.africa forward slash events. Hi, it's Sean Jackson from Investec Business Cash Solutions, proud sponsor of Making SMEs Matter. Our aim is to partner with you in order to understand your business's unique cash flows to grow and maximize the return on your cash. I hope you enjoy this episode filled with valuable insights from our featured entrepreneur. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Shirts, sure, lacquer de beer. Net Flores, we know it now as a brand that's been around for more than 20 years, yep. but where did you start? So... Um, it's not kind of the classic starting story, but I'm not sure there's a classic starting story anymore anyway, actually. I was working for an e-commerce, uh, for an internet company. Uh, we, were in a, we were an ISP, we were an internet service provider like Mweb or Afrihost, one of these businesses. We were one of the early ones. And um, there was a, a macro approached us to build their e-commerce site. This is in 1999 which is very early in the internet journey, really early. In South Africa, it hadn't started yet in the e-commerce environment. There was no e-commerce yet in South Africa in 1999. In fact, a few of the companies had started. Um, I was in my late 20s. Um, so e-commerce started in South Africa in 1999. All the businesses that started, there were a few, all started in that year. And this was February 1999, so it's really the beginning of that beginning. Macro wanted us to build the e-commerce site. Macro wanted to be early out of the starting blocks. And we didn't know anything about e-commerce. Nobody did. So we thought the best way to sell to Macro was to build something ourselves, um, understand how this 
thing works of a website and a product and a payment, those kind of things, deliver it, and then go to Macro and say, we know what we're doing, we'll build your website and many others. And that is how NetFlora started. And the reason why it was called NetFlorist was the internet company was called NetActive. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was only, so we just called it NetFlorist. And the reason why we chose Flowers was because we looked overseas, there was a company in America that had just started, but there was never an intention to actually have an online floral business. There was just an intention to, as a proof of concept. Um, so it happened by accident? Well, it's been a 20-year proof of concept, I guess you could say, yeah. And 20 years on, Macro still haven't nailed online shopping and you've been a booming success. <laughs> so you never gave them your tips. <laughs> um, a, a, yeah, actually, I know the guys at Macro and we worked with them indirectly. Then I'm not going to ask you for any comments. <laughs> yeah. Um, isn't it fascinating how that is how most companies start? Like uh, some of the biggest names we know, some of the greatest companies, even some of the most valued companies around the world, like Facebook started by accident, Google. Um, and and if, you, if you talk to most entrepreneurs, it, it never starts with a business plan, go and raise huge funding. It's just, it happened somehow, uh, found, a, found a little niche, found customers, grew yeah. it from there. And that was your journey as well. I think so, and I think, I mean, it sounds fancy because it's internet and it's e-commerce and these are fancy terms, but I agree with you. I would imagine it's how it works around the corner. Mm. You know, somebody started a, a takeout little place and then thought, hold on, um, people have been coming to me and asking me where the local dry cleaning shop is. And then they think, well, there isn't one, and maybe that's an opportunity, yeah. so they do some research. I, I think... I think just in our context, it sounds fancy because it's e-commerce and mm. it's kind of glorified. Mm. But I would imagine this is how commerce works and has worked for a thousand years. Yeah, I don't, yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, and exactly the same thing happened with us, exactly. So at the time, were you just working at the ISP or were you yeah. involved there? You just working? No, oh yeah, I was selling internet connections, basically. Okay, and then how did you decide this is a full-time business and I'm going to do it? So... After about a year, so this thing kind of ran as a also business, I guess you could call it. Uh, um, and then after about a year, we kind of, we started to see orders coming in. We actually started to get some traction very early on. I mean, this was at the end of 1999 and we thought, hold on, we were still kind of engaging with Macro and we thought, like, have we stumbled onto something that we didn't understand? And we did a bit, of, then, then we started to do a little bit of research, the kind of stuff that generally people do before, yeah. maybe. And we, re we, we realized fortuitously that the floral industry in South Africa was tremendously fragmented. <clears throat> uh, there was this business called Interflora that's still around. It was a kind of the giant then, but, it, but they're, they're not really a floral business. They're kind of a, I don't want to get into it, but they're kind of a switch in a way. They move monies around on behalf of the floral industry. So they, they really weren't um, the incumbent, and there were no incumbents. And so there was this, um, this void of a brand in the flower space. And we kind of thought, well, we know nothing. I mean, I've got a law degree, we know nothing about flowers. But uh, hey, like, let's do a bit more research and scratch around. And, and it seemed like an interesting opportunity that the internet, so, so one of the benefits, and it was really fortuitous, not more than that, is a lot of guys in the early days try to sell things that were not well suited to the internet. And there's a graveyard of guys that started businesses online from like 2000 to 2003, 4, and most of them closed because not everything is easy to sell on the internet, especially in the early days, mm. right? So if you were trying to sell a chair on the internet in 2002, you were never going to sell one. People wanted to sit on it. Now you might be able to, but then not. 
we were very lucky in that the test that we ran was this product called Flowers. And Flowers, for 50 years before we arrived, had mainly been sold over the phone. We, we didn't know any of this. So you, most people hadn't walked into a florist for a long time before we arrived. They'd phoned the florist, said, how's it? I need some flowers delivered. So they weren't seeing the product. So all we had to do was change that behavior from a telephone to a website. That's really the behavior we had to change. And that wasn't such a great leap. It wasn't as big a leap sure. as selling um, a car online that you know, traditionally you'd gotten set in or, or, or even a book. By the way, so, so, and that was just lucky that there was no foresight about it. It was just lucky. So, our journey was slightly easier than most in the internet space, and it's actually revealed in the category. So, uh, all around the world, they have these stats about what percentage of retail is online. It's a classic stat. Yeah. Arthur Goldstuck, he's the guru in South Africa. I think he says at the moment it's about 1.5 or 1.7 or something like that. In our industry, in, in floral delivery. I think it's like 70%. Mm. And that's not because we've done a great job. It's because the category particularly Product, yeah. lends itself mm. to the internet. And those stats would be around the world. So we were very, very lucky that we picked something that we didn't know would lend itself to the internet. Sure. Let's explore that journey a little bit. And it's easy to downplay it and say we were lucky, but there, there must have been so many challenges, so many obstacles, so many great moves that you did over the last 20 years to make it the, the great company that it is today. If I take you back... Just before starting it, like in your 20-something, what was your mindset like at the time? Did you always want to be an entrepreneur, um, always wanted a business? Did you know that you will succeed? So actually, we were talking about before, because I know he's probably been on your show, Mike Stopforth. He calls me the accidental entrepreneur, because I'm not sure actually, I'm, I'm not sure I'm made out to be an entrepreneur, actually. Um, I'm quite risk-averse, which is not good when you want to be an entrepreneur. And I think in the same way that we fell into this journey because of macro. I think I fell into this entrepreneurial journey. I wasn't the guy at 15 who was selling CDs at the flea yes. market. I wasn't that guy. Yes. Um, Did you know that you will succeed? Well, the first question is define succeed? define success. Like, have we succeeded? So that, that, that's a different discussion. Yeah. But but I, I think we're reasonably, uh, when I say we, because I, I have my two partners in mind all the time, um, I think we're quite optimistic I guess, which I think you have to be a little bit, mm. being an entrepreneur. Um, and uh, I, I don't think we, it's also it's a cliche, but I think it's true. I don't think we worry too much about getting stuff wrong. Uh, it's much easier for me to talk about what we've got wrong than got right. I don't, I don't think, because we've tried a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, a ridiculous amount of stuff that hasn't worked. We've tried it and um, it doesn't bother us too much. Uh, we take a lot of small bets sure. and we move along. And uh, so, so if I'm comfortable with that, then maybe I do have a bit of an entrepreneurial bent. I don't know. But I, I, I'm not a classic entrepreneur. I want to explore that a bit. Uh, so saying like taking little risks, what would that entail? Would it be to make a decision quickly and then to, to change quickly? How does it, what does it mean practically? Um, so, yeah, the, the first, well, it's more about implementing actually. Well, Firstly, it's a decision, but secondly, it's um, it's having an idea and then implementing implementing that idea in a way that makes sense for the size of the business that we are. So sometimes we've done that well and sometimes not well. As an example, in, um, in about 2010, I think we decided, 
that we wanted to go into physical retail. Uh, the internet was slow, it wasn't growing as fast as we wanted, so we thought people aren't online um, yet enough, so let's stop trying to squeeze that lemon, let's go into the physical world, because we, whether you're a retailer online or offline, it's the same. And so we had these wonderful spreadsheets, as entrepreneurs do, and we said, well, you know, we put it in, we can have one store, it'll do this much revenue and this much profit, and then, you know, if you just change that one to a 20, then it looks like a fantastic business. So, so we built eight retail stores in one year, and they were all a disaster, every single one. Where, where about? I, I don't know. We're all over. We had one at Nelson Mandela Square, we had a Canal Walk, we had a Clearwater Mall. Yeah, they were like flower markets. Okay. And that was an example of not being measured and not implementing slowly and then learning. So we've got examples of, of, um, of overdoing an idea, and it burnt us terribly. It was a disaster. And the reason why it was a disaster was we know nothing about physical retail. Sure. We conned ourselves into thinking online, offline, how hard can this thing be? But it's very hard, offline retail. As offline guys are finding online is sure. hard, and it's so sure. easy. So... Yeah, I mean, we, we nearly sank the business. We, we opened and closed eight stores, had to pay three years' leases. It was a disaster. So that's an example of failing big, and it was wrong. And then other things we've done. We've, like, decided can we sell a certain product, and we put a little bit of effort, energy in, and we track it, and we monitor it, and if it works. So success would be we've gone a, a percentage of our business is now what we call personalization. So we'll take a a, a a breadboard and put your name on it, an apron or a gown and embroider it. And that we went slowly. That We, we bought our first machine uh, that was called a laser engraver and we started engraving some things and we saw some traction and then we bought our next machine and we bought our next machine and now we've got a ton of machinery at our offices. But it was quite incremental based on the traction. So that's a better journey for us yeah. and it's worked out better than, than to go kind of um, all, all hell to leather or whatever that thing is and it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, starting out, and especially online shopping, like I said, it wasn't big back then. Uh, how did you get customers initially? So, um, with a trade-off that we didn't understand, again, um, so we, there, there are these things called affiliate programs that are very common now in South Africa, but actually we, we brought that idea to South Africa, funnily enough. So in 2001, I went to a conference in America, and um, they, they just started talking about white labeling, skinning sites, this whole kind of concept of you've got a service, somebody else has a brand, and you put them together. But actually, it's been around in the physical world for a long time, because pick-and-pay no-name brand is exactly that thing. Sure. It's Procter & Gamble making something for pick-and-pay and, and putting it. So, so, so it's been around for a while, but it hadn't started in South Africa yet. So we created an affiliate program with a lot of brands. So we turned MTN, Vodacom, Macro, Woolies, Nedbank into florists, oddly enough. Very early on, 2001, 2002, these brands had floral sites. Sounds mad now, but they did. And it was very, um, it was good that we did that because we got volume without having to spend money above the line mm -hmm. on marketing. And when, when all these internet businesses that started early on crashed, it was because they'd overspent on marketing. They had no money left. Sure. So we didn't make that mistake, um, thank God, because we got volume through these affiliates. The downside of that was that we lost our brand because the downside of white labeling these kind of concepts is you lose the brand. And after a few years, we realized whilst we're getting volume, it's, it's not so healthy from a brand building point of view. And if we really wanted to be a retailer, it's really all about brands. So we changed 
took us a while. We changed those programs, and now we're we've got lots of partners. But it's kind of our brand and their brand together, sure. and that's healthier. But that's how we got customers in the early days. It was really an affiliate program. Can can we explore that? So it was yeah. a MTN website selling flowers as an MTN brand. That's right. It was called MTN Flowers. It had like a short number, 083. I actually remember the number, 083139. It doesn't exist anymore. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't phone it. I don't know where it'll go. Our call center answered that number. Uh, do phone we it. Managed <laughs> send me a message. Tell me where you ended up. Yeah. Um, and uh, we managed the website and uh, we managed everything. So MTN just marketed it. Okay. And the reason why affiliate programs like that work quite well is because, I can't speak for MTN, but if I had to, I'd say that they're all about brand. So if they can put their brand onto something that um, is fun, not related to what they do, so nobody's going to get confused and think that MTN are really making up flowers. I mean, sure. Nobody's really going to think sure. that. Then it just becomes like a fun extension, yeah. really. I mean, the travel business has been doing that. You know, Investec have a yes. travel. Nobody yeah. thinks that there are people in Investec who are actually booking tickets. Yes. Like, that would be insane. But it's a way for Investec to add their brand onto something that makes sense for them and and we convinced a whole lot of people to add their brand onto this weird thing called flowers. Okay. Uh, also, what it did in the early days, which is, which, <laughs> which is interesting, is that everybody was panicking about the internet and like what they were going to do. All these big brands, Macro, Woolworths, everybody, like what are we doing with the internet, right? And the, the board meeting would come and somebody would ask, like, what are we doing about the internet in 2003? And they weren't doing anything. Yeah. So now they could say something ridiculously. <laughs> no, we've got this. We, have you seen yeah. our flower site? Right? So, so it kind of it was quite a symbiotic thing. But um, but we lost the brand. That was a mistake. Mm. But we didn't understand retail. I got a law degree. The hell do I know about the retail yeah. or branding? So so those things we learned along the way, and we've learned over time how important a brand is. Whether we do it well or not, that's a moot point. But how important your brand is in retail. Sure. Other areas as well, but very much in retail sure uh, before I leave you on that how did you get these corporates to, to, to agree to this program was it a matter of just trying to get a foot in the door and go and present to them how did you how did you get it right um, it was so I mean the first challenge at that stage uh, I'm, I'm lucky now I can get a kind of a meeting with who I want to meet with but that's really a representation of the brand it was hard to get the first meeting once we got the first meeting it was such a strange idea that people actually took notice of it Right, so if you, if you go in and you're trying to sell MTN insurance, I don't know why we're using MTN, but we'll keep, yeah. that's hard to get a meeting and hard to sell because, but if you go into MTN and say, look, you know, I want to do something a bit nuts and crazy, like they flowers. kind of, yeah, yeah, they kind of listen. Okay. And then, and very few, amazingly, very few said no because we made it quite simple for them to say yes. We said to them, look, we're going to do everything, which is the nature of an affiliate program, or there are lots of people call them OEMs or whatever the model is. Um, if you make it easy enough and you show them why it's a good idea, kind of you give them a reason to say yes, and that's what we did. We said, we'll do everything. Um, you know, you won't hear from the customers, but you can put your brand on something else and have fun with it. So, like, they did fun things, like they, you know, like uh, uh, Vodacom at the rugby, whatever, put on the big screen, you know, um, like they zero in on somebody giving somebody a kiss, you know, that yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And then they'd put on top, why not buy flowers from Vodacom Flowers? And it just, it's like fun, yeah, right? But for us, it was, it was do or die at that stage because we didn't have marketing money. We couldn't run any campaigns. We just didn't have the money for it. So this was a way. And, of course, we'd pay them on sale. So this, Sorry, I should have mentioned that up front. The best thing about these kind of partnerships or affiliate relationships is you pay on 
activation, whatever that activation is. So you don't have a risk. The affiliate doesn't, the, the merchant, as I call it, doesn't have a risk. Sure. So, yeah. so that suited us okay. early on. Yeah. And fast forward 20 years, uh, what are you relying on today to do marketing and to get customers? So, so look, it's changed drastically. So now we have a marketing budget and we kind of try and be in charge of our brand. We don't leave it to third parties anymore. Um, we definitely have switched a l over the last 20 years, definitely from offline to online in terms of branding and marketing. So our biggest spend is digital marketing. It's bigger than our offline uh, by some distance, actually. A lot of that goes to Google. It's very hard in the online world to exist without Google AdWords. Um, uh, I was speaking to an entrepreneur the other day in the online yeah. shopping space, and he said if he can make the profit that he's paying AdWords, he would be a very wealthy 100%. Wealthy so, man. look, Google, are, they've got an extraordinary model. This idea of, of pull marketing, of a, a customer entering something in, so the intent is so high, and then getting relevant information is, is unique relative to 30 years ago. 30 years ago, marketing and branding, we all know, was about just pushing stuff to yeah. people, whether they wanted it or not, and hoping that something stuck. That's why AdWords is so valuable, is there's a customer who's saying, who puts in, you know, flower delivery Bloemfontein. The intent is so high, so we're all fighting for that search term. So although we pay Google a lot of money, um, it kind of works for everybody. Mm. We work with Facebook, and uh, we play the Google organic game and we do a lot of email marketing and we uh, there, there's there's quite a broad spectrum stuff online and then to keep our brand alive and interesting we spend a fair amount on radio we find that radio for what we need is a good channel it's a good medium uh, people haven't yet X'd out of radio maybe that'll happen mm -hmm. TV is complicated because people are um, Netflixing and PVRing and all sorts of things so mm -hmm. there's the, there's a difficulty then in our LSM but radio it seems funnily enough, have a good model. In other words, they have a good balance between advertising and shows and people don't switch around as much. Mm. I mean, people listen to podcasts like this one who, who will X out. But, but for the most part, radio has been a good medium for us, I think. Yeah. Hopefully this ad would mean much more than an ad on Talk 702 for you. Oh, it definitely will be. Who's listening to this much more engaging than any ad that we can run. That's yes. for sure. Yeah. Stop what you're doing right now and go <laughs> on to Ned Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'm making an assumption and I want to ask it to you. So I would think with click um, rates or prices that you pay per click on Google AdWords um, and, and you're selling flowers, I would assume that you're not maybe making uh, a return on the exact or that first purchase, but you're getting the customer into your ecosystem. You've, you can remarket to them again. They're probably going to put recurring orders through. Do you, is, that, is that something you take into consideration when doing advertising is to acquire that first customer as an online um, marketplace? Yeah, sure. Um, it is a little bit different for us versus traditional people who play in the AdWords space. So I, I would think probably in South Africa, 70% of their AdWords spend is financial services. I would think for sure. I mean, we pay Google a lot and we're an important client to theirs, but we're a rounding error relative to insurance mm -hmm. and banks, right? I mean, they, 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 they're spending more on AdWords than anybody else. The reason why they can do that is because their model is a recurring revenue model. So, you know, if Archurance can get somebody online to sign up with them, they've got a model that says that guy will likely be with them for three years times premiums times extra. So it's harder for us actually because we're not a recurring revenue. If you buy your mother flowers today, 
who's to say that you're going to buy anybody anything sure. tomorrow or next month or next year. So, um, so your I, marketing needs to give you a direct. It actually does. Yeah, our, our, our metrics with AdWords and any spend, we we have to make a profit on that sale. We don't have the luxury of relying on recurring revenue. Obviously, we want to increase our frequency all the time, which is every business metric is to increase how often somebody engages with you. Um, but we can't rely on a, on a financial services model. So it's not our model. Um, I heard somewhere that you delivered flowers on behalf of Bill and Melinda Gates to Mandela. Yeah, we did. Definitely our best order ever. Definitely. It was really cool. So we don't know if he placed the order himself. There's no way to know such yes. a thing. Certainly, I'm not going to be able to track Bill Gates' IP address, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a year before he passed away. He was in hospital. And uh, we've actually got it up. We like framed it in our office because, I mean, how often are we never, are we ever going to touch at the time, which were two of the most important people in the world, certainly the most famous, yeah, which is Mandela. Yeah, yeah. And Bill Gates is up there in his in his uh, famousness. So it was a cool order. It was really lucky. Gotta love that. You you were talking a lot about a fun product, looking back at your journey and where you are now, do you still consider it fun? Yeah, it's uh, it's a different fun because it's a bigger business, so it's more complex. So that's that's really decisions are bigger and complexity um, gets kind of more advanced. But uh, I, I, the truth is I love being part of it. Yeah. And I love, um, we've got a very creative team. And they do cool stuff and they come up with fun stuff. And we're launching wedding flowers in a few months' time. And then home consumption flowers you can buy. So we, we, we're continually innovating, which at the beginning of the podcast, I said, we feel like, you said, are we mature startup? I said, it's, yeah. it's both now. Yeah. Uh, we feel like we're in startup phase all the time some will work some won't but that's the fun of it in 2019 there are so many people coming out and saying you got to do something that you feel passionate about and you got to wake up in the morning and feel this Uh, i'm sure you don't feel that way about flowers Um, but i always say for me what's so um, what energizes me personally is the challenge around business building a team always developing always Uh, your thoughts on that yeah, I, I mean, I do connect. Are, are you into roses, Ryan? That's uh, what I want to get No, to. I'm not into <laughs> roses, but I'll tell you what I am into. But again, I just stumbled into it is when we deliver something, it's really actually not about the roses. I shouldn't say that, but it's really about the, the message on the card. That's actually what we do. When you, when you order something from us, you, you pay us to transmit an emotion to somebody else. And the product is like the conduit. And whilst, you know, I never set out to be in a business that does that I quite like that we do that like every day there are a few kind of thousand people out there who hopefully we put a smile on their face in one way or another it's quite nice that but I'm not passionate about roses or any other flower in particular yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a quote where you said retail is about the product you sell the technology is not all that important um, I think that's definitely the case for us definitely we, we don't see technology as we like to have what we call moats in our business barriers for other people who want to come into our space, that we want to give them a hard time to do that. Tech isn't one. Mm. We have other barriers, but tech, I don't think so. I want to talk about that competition. How, how do you think about competition? Because the moment you're successful, every single person will try and copy you. Um, I'm sure throughout your journey, you must sure. have seen that a thousand times. What's your thoughts on competition? Um, so, um, at times, we've worried a little bit too much about competition. In other words, I, I think... I think it is true that um, if you're continually innovating and doing what you do better, I think competition is kind of irrelevant. In other words, if there is going to be somebody that's going to take you out 
and you're doing the best you can. I'm not sure there's much you can do about mm, it. Mm, mm. Um, I think to be reactive to competition is 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 complicated because you're always kind of on the back foot. So we've had competitors over the years, and the way that we think about it is just to keep innovating um, at kind of a furious pace because what we want our competitors to know is we're not we're the biggest at what we do now but we're not asleep mm. we could do things wrong that's always possible but we're certainly not asleep we are very active and innovating all the time and if somebody wants to compete with us they're going to have to keep up with that yeah. and maybe they can and do it better with us and maybe they can't yeah. and i don't know how much the fact that you three uh, co-founders uh, how much of a role do you think that plays in in that adi- attitude and maybe other things where you feel you've got these people backing you and uh, you sharing your burden so for me, it's uh, for me it's been fantastic because they're like different emotions at different times in business, and I never feel lonely in my entrepreneurial space because I'm with two other people. I know many friends of mine who are alone mm-hmm. in the entrepreneurial, whether they're successful or not, it can be quite a lonely space. I haven't had that. <clears throat> also, when I'm down, they're up. One of them's up. One yeah. of them's down. Like it, I, I find business a, a very emotional space. I'm not. Um, kind of vanilla with it at all yeah. you know if yesterday we had great sales I, I leap out of bed if our sales were terrible i'm like oh god yeah. business is going to collapse everything's yeah. bad like i'm very connected to what yeah. goes on yeah. and um and i'm very grateful that i have two other people and we you know we uh we we kind of balance each other out i think there's a con the con is can be confusing for employees Who's the boss? Sure. Those kind of things are a bit of a, uh, that's complicated. But uh, for me, the trade-off is worth it. I, I like that space. Sure. Have you ever taken on, on any outside investors or have this always been something that you funded yourself? No, yeah, we funded it ourselves. Uh, we're quite unique in that space for good or for bad again. Um, I think we like to be in control of our own destiny. We don't really want somebody outside visiting us once a month and telling us what to do. Mm. And often... That's what comes with cash that mm, you get from mm, outside mm. investor. So now I think we're I think we're about the only sizable e-commerce company who's private. I think in whatever way that means. Yeah, I think. What's the future holding for Netflores and for Ryan? The immediate future is a move. So on the first of September we're moving premises. So that's but not interesting for a podcast. But that's certainly in a rise, and it's complicated to move our business. We've got cold rooms, machines, all sorts of things. Um, in terms of kind of a, a product journey. We're about to get into weddings, which is exciting for us. Um, not exciting for anybody else, but we're a florist. So um, uh, we, we, we're toying with an idea of own consumption floral, which means getting flowers delivered to your house regularly, which is exciting. And our personalization journey is kind of ramping up. So we're allowing our customers to customize gifts in a very broad way. So we customize a lot of stuff now from notebooks to gowns to shopping boards to wallets to glassware to all sorts of stuff and that's uh, customers are leading that journey they're wanting that it's kind of it seems how things have moved is people want to express themselves quite uniquely I mean it's like the selfie generation right? Mm -hmm. they want to put themselves in everything so that's the same with gifting they want to express themselves in a unique way and our job is to enable them to do that yeah so that's a big journey for us are we going to see uh, news headlines next week that you've been acquired by the MassMart group? No, no you uh, won't. Um, are you taking a sabbatical to the Himalayas very <laughs> soon? No, definitely not. What I, what I am doing a little bit, which I'm enjoying, is I'm doing a little bit of lecturing, and that's, that I, I kind of like that space. It's a bit of a, 
So, uh, on? Uh, on, uh, on law? Or? No, <clears throat> actually digital marketing, e-commerce, branding. I quite like that space, so that's kind of a new area for me. I do a bit of stuff at Gibbs and one or two other universities, which I like. Besides that, it's, I'm up to my ears in NetFlorist. It's, it's very demanding. It saps up all of our time. Uh, but we choose that. Mm. In other words, we're, we're in control of that. Mm. So, no, there's, I'm not uh, in any way kind of have three hours to spare during the day. That's, that's not my reality at all. I've got two more questions for you, and then we're going to go over to the calls sure. that we're receiving from our listeners. So um, the other day I was at the spa, um, and I go there every Sunday for a massage, and <coughs> it was just super busy. And I asked the receptionist what's going on here, and she said, no, it's Mother's Day, and all these dads forgot to get their wives something <laughs> so they're running into this part to get vouchers right um and i'm sure that's the case for net Flores as sure. well what on earth do you send your own wife will she leave you if you send her net Flores? yeah so it's complicated because for most guys <clears throat> if they send their wives a gift they're kind of plus five points or plus 10 or plus 100 whatever the points go yeah. is. so I think what happens if I send my wife a gift, then I just am at zero. <laughs> I think so. I definitely send her stuff from us because I like our products. Not not everything I give my wife is from Net Florist, but in percentage wise, it's 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 up there because we do have some cool stuff yeah. and you know. So, but yeah, but I don't I don't think I score any points. I just I just get to zero really. <laughs> There's this really nice shop that just opened up in Santon City, and I think it would be a brilliant space for um, net florists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I start to twitch if I think about such a thing. It's like, it's like if you get shocked and you walk past the same electric fence again. Like you, you know, physical retail for us, uh, it, was a, it was a horrible experience because we were cuckered at it. Mm. That's the truth. Mm. So we're better at online. I don't know if we're good at online, but we're better at online than offline, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Ryan, let's hop over to some calls. Yeah, sure. Henny speaking, hello. Hi, Henny, it's Manus here, how's it? Yeah, no complaints, thanks for calling me, Manus. Awesome, so we're sitting with Ryan here, do you have a question? Yes, um, I actually have two questions. Uh, one is around, obviously, all these data breaches that happen around the world, surely they gather a lot of information of consumers, so I just wanted to know, you know, what is the sort of protocols that they take to keep consumer information safe? And then the other thing was, with being a South African uh, company, the looming uh, fuel price increases and, you know, uh, ESCOM shutting down power, you know, that's sort of their daily um, dependency on, on business. So I just wanted to know how they mitigate those kind of downtimes. Um, so I'll just go in order. Data breaches, we're, I mean... We do have some custom information. I don't think we have the most sensitive information out there. We're not a bank. You know, we're not holding that kind of information. But the way that we've managed it is we, uh, we moved all of our hosting a while ago to AWS, to Amazon's platform, because it's more expensive than anybody else in South Africa, that's for sure. But we just decided that uh, in terms of our database, we need to be with best of breed. And Amazon, in my view, is that. So we follow all their kind of philosophies about data protection and we figure if we're following that we're putting in our effort mm. so that's uh, that's on that side and in terms of the economy look I, I mean you can catch me after listening to the news and I want to jump off a bridge right it's it's, it's tough um, petrol's hard for us it's a significant cost for us we own 70 vehicles are driving around the country so that's complicated um, but we, we kind of try and run our business without thinking about that too much. I know that sounds hard, but the problem is, like the RAND is 
cuck today. But in three weeks' time, it might be at 13. Mm. Uh, everything is so volatile in our country yeah. that we kind of see all of that as noise. Mm. It's very hard. Like we, we talk about in our business about finding a signal in and amongst the noise. It's hard to do in South Africa at the moment. People are depressed. And, but uh, we try and focus on if we do what we do well and we add value to our customers, then hopefully that's enough. And, you know, if lights go out for three months, well, we can't do anything about that. Mm. Thank you so much, Henny. Are you positive about South Africa? Yes, no, maybe. There is such... I, I don't know how to answer that. Eh? No. I actually don't know because I don't know how to discern... I don't know how you guys think about it, but really to discern what's real from the yeah. noise yeah. is like impossible. That yeah. I think the best way that I remain positive, because I think I am, is not to listen to most of the mm. noise. Because otherwise it's impossible. You're like, mm. Your emotions are dictated by the next person yeah. on Twitter. I've like X'd yeah. out of that. I can't yeah. do that anymore. Yeah. So... As a country, I think South Africa is always this impending doom that never happens. So I, I think that's the case. I think we'll figure out a way. Mm. But it's not simple now. Mm. It's hard out there. Hi. Do you have a question for Ryan? Yeah, I've got a question for Ryan, yeah. Uh, go for it. Okay, Ryan, I want to know. I see lately a lot of these companies that they're doing very well, and then they decide to open a branch or an extra services towards the product that they deliver. How do you budget for to have the, uh, the needed capital and not to influence your cash flow so that you can still pay your, I guess, your creditors and your people? What do you do? What's the, what's the best thing you can do for, for such a decision? So I would suggest that it's kind of impossible to do both those things and not, and not affect your core. I think, I think it's unrealistic to assume that your core isn't going to be affected. So it, 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 it means it's a strategic decision. In other words, you, you've, got a, you've got a limited amount of time and resources. So what's better for you? To get better and better at your core or to branch out? And your core is, your core is going to suffer. Anybody who thinks that their core isn't going to suffer is mad. So that's the decision. And, you know, if you've got a pizza shop in one suburb and you're going to open a pizza shop in another suburb, your first suburb is going to suffer because you're not there now 24 hours a day, you're there 12 hours a day. So you have to know that your quality and your levels at your first pizza shop is going to suffer slightly. But that may be the right decision, because now you've got two pizza shop operating at 90% versus one that's operating at 100, and it may be a better decision for you. I think what people assume, or they hope, is that, no, 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 I'll do this extra thing, and my core is not going to suffer. I think that is immature thinking. It is going to suffer, but that still might be the right decision. Cool. Thanks a lot, Tian. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks, eh? Ryan, I also find with uh, many entrepreneurs, and I'm not saying it's the case here, like, that many people are just going so blindly into these decisions. Um, yeah. And you were talking about retail, and I was making fun of it. But people don't know what retail in, entail. And like you're talking three-year leases, and people go in someone told them on Facebook that they would support them. Then they take yeah. out a lease for three years. They try and raise capital for that. They run out of money in the second month. You don't get the customers. I think a huge portion of that is planning. It is planning, and, it's, and I would suggest that those kind of decisions, I'm not going to say the whole thing about get a mentor. I mean, that, everybody says that. But mm. what you do want to do is find somebody that's done this thing before or a similar thing, and then you don't have to follow them. I think, you know, you go meet with somebody who's done this thing before, often they're like, you know, they, they smash your idea. Mm. You know, they say, well, I know better and this thing will never work and whatever. So you don't have to follow what they say. But what you will get is somebody telling you, 
by the way, you're going to have to sign a three-year lease. And by the way, good luck trying to get out of that. Mm. So <clears throat> you have to know in your projections that you're in for three years. Those kind of things, and that's helpful. Um, and then you can decide on your own. In other words, entrepreneurs, I think, need to decide on their own. Mm. They're going to get information and follow that mm. person. But I think going into things blindly is not smart. Mm. You don't need a mentor you're going to meet with every two weeks. If you've got that, fantastic. Mm. But you do need to find somebody who's done what you're thinking of doing something similar and just ask some questions. Sure. Yeah. Can we do one more? Yeah, sure. Hello. Hi, it's Manus here. How's it? Good and you, Magnus. How are you? Good, good. I'm sitting with Ryan. Do you have a question for him? I do have a question, but it's a bit of a cheeky one. Uh, I actually know that they're busy in the process of relocating office space to the waterfall area. He just told us Is about that, a, that. Didn't he tell you guys about that? No, he just told us about it. He just said. Yeah. So I want to find out, is he going to open that process to tender for the interior designers? Such um, a hustler on the yeah, call. So, yeah. hi, so, so firstly, we, we're, we're not that formal. We don't do tenders. We're not that kind of business. We're not, a, we're not a government agency or a bank. So we've actually had somebody we've been working with for, for a long time. Uh, we've moved once or twice. And, uh, yeah, we're generally quite loyal. Unless there's a reason to move away from people, we kind of like relationships. So... Yeah, no. 100%. So we've we've 100%. got our we've got our lady, but yeah. Isel, so uh, you might not get Ned Flores, but this is your opportunity to <laughs> give a huge shout out about your business. Who are you? Where can get people get all of you? Yeah. Uh, my business is Arc Aesthetics. Uh, that's A R C, and I basically am an interior architect and designer, and I've been in the industry for the last ten years. And we do beautiful spaces that can get me or get more information on www.arcstetics.co.za. Amazing. I'm about to move, so I might, <laughs> I might give you a call. Thank you so much for the right. call. Um, and then also just, Ryan, um, actually one of my friends works in your office, and she can't stop saying how wonderful it is to work for you guys. So compliments for that. I love hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank Perfect. you. Perfect. Thanks, guys. All awesome. the best. Eh? Thanks, Ed. Thank you. Thank you so much for the calls. Um, as I predicted, it was an awesome discussion with me. We're one hour into it, and I need to say goodbye. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Um, Pleasure. Definitely a lot of valuable lessons from it. Well done on, on your own success through, throughout uh, the journey. You're very humble about it. You're very diplomatic about it. But as an outsider, even the callers are telling you about what a great company you've built, and you have really. And I think one day you'll look back and you'll, you'll see what we've all been telling you. So thank <laughs> you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be taking a short break now in December. So the next episode will come out in beginning of 2020. But please make sure that you do subscribe to the show and then you'll never miss an episode again. Also, our friends at Investec, they've offered to answer any questions that our listeners might have. So if you do have any question as a small business owner that you think can be answered by Investec or one of their experts, uh, it's a great bank. They've got legal experts and um, social media experts and so many different uh, people in the organization that you might not always have access to as a small business owner, but they would like to answer some of the questions that you might have. So if there's something that you'd like to know, then please pop us a question on our WhatsApp line. That number is 076-010-1984. Tell us what you'd like to know and we'll send it over to Investec and they might just be answering your question.
I really hope you enjoyed this episode and that it's valuable in your own journey. Do connect with us and remember to join our mailing list at sme.africa forward slash podcast. And if you haven't subscribed to this show yet, do it now. And if you haven't rated it yet, what? You haven't rated it? Also do it now. My name is Marnes. See you again next week. Thanks for listening. If you're a business owner with cash sitting in a call, notice, fixed deposit, or money market account, SMS the word cash to 47677 or visit investec.com forward slash SME Africa. Someone from our team will call you back and discuss how we can help you grow and maximize the return on your cash.